Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Smarts and Stripes Podcast. We cover every bump, every spot, and chat with all the talent around the world of wrestling. Here's your host, Bill Matz, former WWE referee Kevin Keenan, and Eric Golden. What's going on, everyone? Come on in, sit down, get comfortable, and enjoy some Smarks and Stripes. Former WWE referee Kevin Keenan flying solo again this week as I have a chat with one of my favorite people in the business, one of my trainers, and the person that I really feel taught me the actual business, and that being... Al Snow. I've stated many times that I thought I knew it all when I came to Al in 2006 and I got to OVW after just being signed to the WWE, but it took me less than a minute of being in OVW and being around Al to realize I knew nothing at all. Al and I are going to get into all of that and so much more. A little forewarning for you guys, the audio can be a little difficult at times as Al was in the airport when he did this interview with me, but nonetheless... Enjoy Al Snow. All right, Al, lots of stuff I want to get into with you today, but let's start here. Uh, And that's the Al Snow Wrestling Academy that can help pro wrestlers transition into other careers. It gives them another option uh, other than just competing in the ring. Students uh, at the school will study English, business, finance, marketing, uh, television production, and of course, wrestling requires 60 credit hours over a two-year period to earn a degree. Accreditation means students can apply for financial aid and scholarships. So let me let me ask the obvious here. Uh, how did this uh, come about, and what made you take the idea of taking a wrestling school and expanding on it in this direction? Well, uh, my opinion has always been that in, you know a wrestling school is not like uh, attending like um, MMA training or um, martial arts training um, or boxing things like that. Um, it's not a hobby. It's, uh, I'm giving these people skills uh, to pursue a vocation to, you know, uh, to follow a career and, and mm-hmm. create opportunities to make a living. Um, and in that sense, it is very much a trade. Um, what created the situation was twofold. One was that, um, and you've, you've been around on the independence, and I'm not saying anything negative about anybody, um, but it's become far too easy and too accessible to become a professional wrestler. Mm-hmm. Um, and I personally, uh, I'm sure probably a lot of people would be upset when they hear that. But I, you know, found it that there were there are people, men and women, that are in the wrestling ring, and I'm not saying it from just an aesthetic standpoint, and that it is a, a part of it too. I mean, you know, you're trying to create the illusion that 
these athletes are in the ring in a competitive situation, um, having to be a prize fighter, fight for a living. And that's really what we're selling. Um, and a lot of them physically don't look the part. But more importantly is that they don't have the athletic background or the physical training to perform it safely. And there are a lot of people out there, a lot of young men and women that are getting hurt, um, having life-altering injuries, or even a couple have died. And what really motivated was a young man a couple of years ago in Oklahoma, which is a state that has a wrestling commission mm-hmm. and uh, oversees the activities. And the kid was very poorly trained and had been wrestling, you know, in a couple of weeks or something. Went in the ring. I think it was a spine buster. Uh, hit the back of his head on the mat. Um, had the uh, brain swelling. Uh, was in a coma for four days. And had to pull the plug. He died. So I thought, well, this is that's it. I'm done. I, I just, I, I had to do something. So I approached the Maryland Athletic Commission. Um, I approached the South Carolina Athletic Commission, um, Oklahoma, and then I personally, physically went to the board of the Athletic Commission, the Wrestling Commission in Kentucky, um, because I find it absurd and I find it insulting that my wife um, is a licensed masseuse. I don't find that, but the <laughs> fact that she had to go to a state-accredited training school, she had to be taught by a state-accredited trainer. She had to complete a certain amount of state-required hours. She had to then go through a certain amount of residency training before she could then take a test to become a licensed masseuse. And, you know, the same goes if you're a mortician or if you're a beautician or a barber. Um, there's several other licensed vocations that you have to follow those steps. As a professional wrestler in any state that has a wrestling commission, all you have to do is just pay your fee and take a physical, and that's it. Um, and ta-da, you're arrested. There are no standards. There's no requirements. There's nothing. Um, and I just find that find it very insulting. And, um, you know, I thought I'm going to work to change that. And for the betterment of professional wrestling, for the betterment of the athletes, for the betterment of the fans, and I mean that sincerely. Um, that, you know, create some standards and um, force people to work, to aspire, to treat this like what it is, which is really a profession, not a hobby. Um, no matter what level you do it, um, you know, whether you can do it seven days a week or you can only do it once a month, you still must treat it like it's what it is. This is a profession. And treat it with respect and yourself and your opponent, um, the person in the ring in their performance um, for their safety um, and yours. Uh, but uh, so um, I bought OVW from Danny Davis with my business partner, uh, Chad Miller. Um, he was at the time, he was, uh, he was the head of the Boxing and Wrestling Commission. He resigned and took it with me in conflict census before we went into business together. And uh, I proposed to him the idea of the, um, making it a trade school. Uh, because uh, the two best examples I could give are a wonderful girl. Um, she's Tomasa Ciampa's wife, uh, Jessie Whitney. Mm-hmm. She was a competitor on Tough Enough 2, uh, season two, and she got cut. Um, and Jessie came back on her own 
as a intern with MTV on season three. She got hired as a backstage producer for WWE and then left and went on and has had an amazing career as a television producer for major networks, you know, ABC, NBC, Fox, CBS, um, and still to this day um, has an, an amazing career. Um, and then another young, a young man, you know him, uh, Paradise, uh, James sure. Yep. Uh, he came there as an in-ring performer uh, with the purpose of, you know, pursuing a, a, a you know, a career in, as a wrestler, uh, taught himself graphic art, he taught himself how to do lighting, sound, I mean, all self-taught, how to do editing. He was doing these amazing packages, and posters and things for, you know, the, the monthly special shows that we would do when I was involved with TNA. Um, and I uh, helped create the developmental program for TNA with OVW. And... I, you know, was able to get him hired with Impact Wrestling as part of the production team. And then he's moved on from there and is now, like, I believe he's the head of one of their experimental uh, production divisions with NXT and WWE. Um, he's doing great, you know, and has a, a great career. So, yeah, he really does a great job. Yeah. And so my, my hope is, because no matter how good you are and no matter what opportunities that come your way, um, at some point, your in-ring career is going to come to an end. And I would like to be able to give these young men and women skills that, you know, they could still be a pliable part of professional wrestling, um, not just from an in-ring performance standpoint, but also in any a variety of other ways, you know, and allows them the tools where they can continue to have a career and, and, and you know, um, help benefit Special wrestling. Um, the other objective of it is, is that as an in-ring performer, um, knowing how to operate a camera, what it is you're trying to shoot, um, why you're trying to shoot it, uh, how well you know how to use lighting, etc. As an in-ring performer, you know better know how to utilize the time that you're in that ring on television to sell your product, which is you, because you've operated a camera, you have experience relate to what how a wrestler needs to be standing best shot you know um you, you better understand what it takes to put on the show because you've done live event you're you know you better understand and uh the, the you know the booking or the writing uh the stories because you sat in and had to put together and format you know a tv show on your own um and then for the people that don't want to be in the performances or work backstage, you still attend the wrestling classes. You just don't physically take part in them um, so that you have a better understanding of what it is you're writing about, what you're producing, what you're directing, so that you can have that feel, that sense that's so important when you're trying to produce a uh, wrestling television. Um, you know, for a lot of people that have come from outside of the wrestling, and now are writers or, you know, stagehands or whatever, they don't have that sense, that feel, because they have no real association with the wrestling that actually forms of the ring. Um, so they don't have that sense, that idea of what it is that they're really selling. So, you know, it, uh, the show could be better if everyone involved were to have that, that feel and that sense of that knowledge. And, you know, it's, and it's my hope that 
you know, by doing this, um, you know, we'll have to, we'll have a way to um, offer the wrestling business, you know, on for people that are on larger platforms. Let's say WWE, AEW, Ring of Honor, you know, they're on a you know a national or an international platform. You know, I'm going to you know I'm trying to create a, a system that will provide uh, talent or or backstage people who literally could come right in and hit the ground run because um, you know OBW is you know it's been we've had our ongoing an ongoing operational territory um, and has had a television show, a weekly television show, broadcast television show for more than almost 30 years. You know, last year we did a 1,000 consecutive television. Episode. That's unbelievable. And we're, you know, we're going live uh, this coming, you know, we started last Wednesday, we went live and we're going live on a weekly basis going forward this coming Wednesday. Um, because I felt, and I've wanted to, it was a goal of mine, to produce a live television show so that the talent and everybody involved, camera operators, sound, uh, lighting, everybody will get that experience of producing a live television show every single week so that when they go someplace else, WWE, AEW, it's not the first, you know, when they get thrown in the deep end, it's not the first time they've learned how to swim. You know, they they're already swimming on a, just a, you know, on a regional platform, not a national. That's the only difference between the two. And that was my next point uh, regarding the OVW Live uh, weekly television shows. I love the idea because you and I both know uh, if you want to get to a major company, having that experience of knowing how to work live television and how quickly things can change and knowing what to do when they change is a huge plus. And you're providing that platform for these guys to learn and hopefully move on down the line. Yeah, it's invaluable. You know, you know, you've been there where, you know, you know, you're, you're on Raw, and at the beginning of the day, they come and they tell you, you know, you got, uh, who knows, you know, you got eight minutes or something for your segment. So, you know, most of those guys will go out of their way to, and we talked about it when, you know, back when you were there. Mm-hmm. They would go out of their way to plan out, you know, everything they were going to do for eight minutes. And then, of course, somebody went long. Uh, at the start of the show, you know, one of the uh, one of the in-ring segments went long or something like that, and next thing you know, you know, you've got four minutes, not eight, and they don't tell you that until you're standing in the gorilla position and you're about to go through the curtain and the other guy's music's playing, and they go, "Hey guys, you got four minutes," and you're, you know, you watch them just stand on the shit between, they don't know, you know, what to do, you know, and they start at subtracting taking things away and, you know, they're, they're talking like auctioneers. And what they end up inevitably doing is trying to do eight minutes worth of stuff and four minutes. So it's like stuffing 10 pounds of crap in a five-pound bag. Sure. You know, and they because they've just never had that experience of, you know, being in that situation um, where, uh, you know, want, I want to train them and prepare them so that when they're put into that circumstance, in that situation, you know, they'll know you know, what's the purpose, what's the business of the match is, focus on it and make sure that gets accomplished first and foremost, whether it's eight minutes, four minutes, whatever. You know, or conversely, you know, you've been in there in that situation, I'm sure, Kevin, mm-hmm. but, you know, two guys were out in the ring and then they, you get a uh, get the Iggy from that, in the back saying, you know, um, stretch it, you know, drag it out. Yeah, you know, I've, it I've, had, I've, I've had every situation thrown at me. Very rarely have I had... Uh, time at it, but I've had finishes changed on me. I've had you got to go home now. I've had stretch it yep. out. 
every every scenario that you can possibly think of. And and if you are not prepared, you know, um, be in that position. You know, it could it, uh, one misstep. Again, your experience, you know, this one misstep up there. Um, no matter how good you are, no matter how well, you know, longer successful run you've had, one misstep, and then it could all, it's like a house of dominoes. Mm-hmm. You know, just, oop, you're done. You know, it just, it starts, starts falling apart. You're wandering around backstage, sitting at catering, and you're not being utilized, and you're wondering what, what happened. And they won't tell you, you know. And it was because you, you know, that one moment where you weren't able to deliver. So, you know, it's a, I want to prepare these people and, 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 and not just, you know, for the opportunities they'll have while their career is going on, but also, like I said, to be able to give them some kind of uh, skills that they can have options when that in-ring career comes to an end, whether it be through attrition or injury or what it meant. Um, they can go on and, and still have a life and have a career and, and be a protective part of the professional wrestling business if they want, or, you know, transfer like, uh, you know, Jesse uh, Whitney did, where she, she went into, you know, television production, you know, producing for major television. So earlier today, uh, I want to stick with OVW for one more quick second. I, I stumbled upon sure. the uh, OVW Wrestling Network, uh, which is a streaming service for Ohio Valley Wrestling. Uh, where we are uh, today with everything being so accessible to us was, was starting a streaming service for OVW just a natural progression? Yeah, it was. We've got, you know, we've got a, an amazing library of content, um, um, you know, where, you know, we've had it from, I think it's episode 456. We've got 457 on to, I think we're on episode 1051 or something this week, 1052. Um, so we've got all of that. Plus we have a hundred, more than a hundred, uh, Saturday night special shows that we ran, you know, we run there at the Davis arena. Um, and we're, you know, we're working on creating other, uh, wrestling centric content. That's not just the wrestling show. I think that's very important. Um, you know, it's good to, to have the, TV, the weekly TV shows, the, you know, the monthly specials and all those kinds of things up there. But I think, you know, what people really, wrestling fans really enjoy are those, you know, where they can see the wrestlers kind of in a different environment and, um, you know, in different situations. And, um, uh, you know, so we're, we're working on trying to start producing some of that content as well. We're trying to create like a, <clears throat> a weekly television, um, like a magazine type show, mm-hmm. you know, where they, you know, um, will cover all the going on of, not just OVW, but WWE, you know, NWA, MLW, you know, AAA, um, you know, AEW, all of them. Um, and, and, you know, kind of, you know, what do the reports of what's happening and, you know, what, what they, you know, where they're going, what direction, that kind of thing. I think you'll agree with me, Al. Uh, the business today is much different than when I trained with you in 2006. And it, it, it's different even than, than five years ago. And I honestly think it has a lot to do uh, with the way social media is being used. And by the way, if you're not following Al on Twitter, at the real Al Snow. But I've stated many times that when I came to you uh, is when I really learned how to work. I, I really understood the business. I knew how to get sympathy on a baby face, knew how to get heat on a heel, uh, tell a good story, three good points 
three key points, rather, uh, to getting over with the crowd. Uh, and social media and Twitter in general, I think, has made it harder for at least two of those points to be properly accomplished. In your opinion, uh, what is the role of social media in today's wrestling world? Well, um, two things to answer your, answer your question. One, the wrestling business uh, is different now than what it was um, you know, just a few years ago. But the reason it is, and there's only one reason that the wrestling business uh, changes. And it always has. It's always changed um, over time. And that is that your audience Wrestling, professional wrestling is and always will be a mirror of uh, your audience. Um, professional wrestling these days is and should be, you know, the, the production levels, the, you know, the, um, the uh, display, uh, the performance, everything is much more sophisticated. And the reason it is is because the audience is much more sophisticated. You know, let's face it, you know, children at 10 years old can now access all, any kind of information they can possibly want sure. in the palm of their hand. You know, so, you know, and, and there's the, ad, you know, not really the advent, but the prominence of MMA. And you have an audience that now can kind of watch what, what really professional wrestling initially was, which was, was basically what MMA is now. Um, and, you know, the, uh, you know, so you, your audience is going to have a better understanding, a better relationship. And, you know, that requires you as a performer and as a promoter and a producer to, you know, present it in a much more sophisticated fashion. Um, but in regards to social media, it's not social media that's the problem. It's the talent that you saw. Uh, social media is an incredible tool and an amazing, I wish we'd had it 20 or 30 years ago. <laughs> I mean, it's, man, it's so, it can literally make stars. Look at the young, you know, look at the young bucks. Sure. You know, they have taken it and, and literally made themselves they made themselves a, a, a commodity. They made themselves an attraction, you know, um, which is is amazing and is you know is, is great, is awesome. But you know, like, and you know, we'll get into this, and some people will debate, I'm sure, and I don't. Mind. But um, you know, this comes up. This brings us to the term kayfabe and what it really was and what people think it is. And then their belief that it's dead, which nothing could be further from the truth. Um, you know, people assume because they use a lot of terms in uh, the rest of the business, even the wrestlers to themselves, they don't even really know what they are. <laughs> um, they just assume they do. Um, for instance, they say they think was a way that you protected the business. But quite honestly, it wasn't. Um, it had nothing to do with that. Protecting the wrestling business was where you didn't allow just anyone to get in it. That, quite honestly, was how it was protected. Because it only takes one person to kill a town. Right. All that effort and all of that work that your roster put into creating an illusion that, that people were coming to an event that the outcome had gravity, had consequence. The win and loss mattered. It takes one guy to go out there and ruin all of that. Just one. So you were very careful to just not just allow anyone to get in, you know, because it would destroy all of your efforts and your hard work. Now, K-Fade was simply uh, a respect for yourself and a respect for your audience, most importantly. Um, K-Fade is never stop selling who you are or why you're doing it. 
assume that, and, and it's important to understand that because that's all an audience is paying to see. And they're, that's all they're really paying to believe in. They're not paying to believe in your move because they've never done it. They don't know what they feel like. And they're not going to. It's not the what. And that's the problem today is that 99% of the talent tried to sell the what they do, not the who they are and why they do it. And even if you go back to the 70s and the 80s, you know, the 90s, the top guys, that's what they always sold. They sold who they were and why they did it. But, you know, it's, it's no different than, and I use this analogy all the time, if you were watching the television and you see a commercial for a toaster. It's all chrome. It's got, uh, tw- you know, uh, 16 settings. It's got, uh, you know, eight uh, slices, and it's got a bagel gimmick in it. And you're like, oh, man, I need that. I love toast. I mean, who doesn't love toast? Me. Grace food world. Who's me? Right? And this, this is going to make some fabulous toast. So I need to go buy it. So you go to the store, and they're on the, uh, you know, there on the, uh, you know, on the shelf, there's the toaster. It's got the box, pictures on the outside, same toaster, all chrome, you know, yada, 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 right? right. You buy it. Take it home. You open it up. It's all black. It only has four slices. It only has six settings, and it has no bagel. Are you happy? <laughs> no. You're not, you're not. So, basically, what we're doing and what, we're, what the talent are doing with their social media um, because let's face it, a wrestler's job is not to wrestle. A wrestler's job is to motivate you and I to leave our house and drive to a building and pay to sit around people we don't want to sit around and seat we don't want to sit in to watch them do the job. Am I not correct? Right. Okay. Well, that's a pretty hard job. You know, that's why movie uh, stars are held in higher regard than television because you know, it doesn't take much effort to, or investment to watch a television star do this. You know, you just turn the TV on and turn the channel to watch it. You know, is it not? It's not easy. I'm not belittling it, but it's certainly a lot different to try to motivate someone to leave their house, drive to a movie theater, and sit in a darkened theater in a nice, comfortable, reclining seat. But even especially these days. But now we're going to ask these people to drive to a building and sit in a steel chair that's miserably uncomfortable around a group of people they probably don't want to sit around and watch you do your job. So, but what I want you to do is, and really this is the objective of professional wrestling, we're going to go in the ring and we're going to sell who I am so that you can connect with me and then care emotionally about what happened to me or that I accomplished what I'm trying to do. And then when you really buy into it and you invest in it, point where you care enough that you want to see the outcome, and you actually are going to pay to show up at the show, I go on social media, and I have my armor on my buddy that I've worked with that night, and like, we just go, that's eh, okay. No big deal. Right. Eh. Now, how willing or how interested are you to now invest that effort and time and money to want to go pay to see the outcome of it? Because now you're disappointed. And that was my point. You know? is, is, there, is there a way to properly convey being sure. a heel and baby face through these platforms. I mean, look, the live crowd is, yeah. is is so accessible to you now, but it makes them harder for them to believe, don't you think? Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. And I, I this is the advice, I, and again, you know, advice is, you know, I tell everybody, you're smart enough, I don't need to tell you. If you're dumb enough, you're not going to listen. 
You do what you want. It's your business. And that, I can't emphasize it enough. It is the professional, it, it has been and it always will be the professional wrestling. It is not a writer's business. It's not this man's business. It is the professional wrestlers in professional wrestling. Period. No ifs and And you can make it whatever you want. That's it's your deal. You know? Um, but, you know, I suggest to all the talent, especially all the ones in OVW, I tell them all the time, look, you don't feel comfortable around your friends and family being the persona that you sold on TV. Then make two social media platforms. Make two Facebook pages. Make two Twitters. Make two Instagram. Make one that's public. And on that public, you be that guy. You know? And look, being a heel does not mean that you you got to constantly you know be a dick and or or bury people. Right. It doesn't you know that's cheap heat. Sure. Be intelligent because let's face it, in real sports, aren't there real heels all the time? You know, baseball players, football players that you met them in person, and man, they can be jerks. You know, and they can be heels. You know, but be professional. Be smart. You know, be a worker. Mm-hmm. You know, just be the person that you sold that audience on TV. That's all you got to do. Okay? Don't be disrespectful or, you know, just walk the line. Um, and be, you know, be a heel on social media for the public. Now, the in the uh, for all of the, you know, for your friends and for your family, go on that and be you. Don't be the guy and, and only your friends and family can access. So now... You know, you don't have to be uncomfortable, you know, trying to sell this, this character to people that know who the real person is. Um, and, you know, and but guys won't do that. And they think that, you know, and the, the other the big misnomer, too, is that, you know, a lot of guys have convinced themselves that only just recently did the general public realize that professional wrestling was predetermined. You know, and nothing could be further from the truth. I remember when in 1976, I was 12 years old. I don't say how old I am. Um, 1976, I proclaimed proudly to my entire family, which I love dearly, but let's face it, none of them were men to candidates, and none of them certainly were professional wrestlers. Um, but the minute I proclaimed that I wanted to be a professional wrestler, every single one of them all said, why do you want to do that? Now, wait a minute. They weren't in professional wrestling. Right. How did they know? Sure. Because everyone knew. Everyone has known for decades that professional wrestling is predetermined. This is nothing new. Why did thousands of people, you know, that's the other misnomer, too. Everybody goes, well, you know, it's only just now that it's really it's come out of the high schools and the armories and don't fool yourself. You'd go on YouTube and pull up Buddy Rogers for Pat O'Connor where they sold out the baseball stadium in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Back in, you know, they've been selling out baseball stadiums for decades. You know, they, that's where, you know, remember the cage match with Bruno uh, at Shea Stadium? Shea Stadium, yeah. You know, yeah, they've been doing those types of events for decades. You know, uh, Fritz von Eric ran the Texas Stadium down in Dallas where Kerry had won the you know, World Heavyweight title. I mean, yeah. Sold out, you know. They, they, they sold, you know, Junkyard Dogs sold out the New Orleans Superdome back in the 80s with Michael Hayes, yeah. you know, and the Freebirds. 
you know, I love the fact that they, everybody thinks that you've reinvented the wheel, but you haven't. You know, and they say, well, the business has changed. And I, I disagree. It has. It's evolved. It's it's grown. It it has changed in the sense that it, you know your, the way you approach it has to be more sophisticated because your audience is more sophisticated. But the belief that it's completely changed in the sense that, which is what the performers are really saying, um, that the audience no longer cares about heels and baby faces. They don't care about, any, you know, they just like the athleticism and the move. And to that, I have four questions, okay? To anyone who, and I, I believe me when I tell you, I, I'm, I'll listen, and if you have a logical explanation, then I'll, I'll continue. All right, but if what you say is true, that professional wrestling is changing. No longer, we're not selling the outcome anymore. They don't buy that. They just want to really see a cool, exciting, athletic contest. Right? Right. Okay. First question is, why am I paying a referee to go out there with you? Why am I wasting the time and the money to pay a referee? The audience is not there, nor do they care, nor do they believe in the outcome. Why am I paying? Second. Why do I have commentators feeding the show the entire time that it's on the air as if it's 40 And like they're watching a contest, a competitive contest. If what you say is true, then why, why have them out there at all? I'm wasting them. Again, I'm wasting money. Again, it sounds like a major waste of time. Yeah. Right. Three, why am I spending thousands of dollars to buy a championship belt? that you guys are supposedly trying to compete for and go up the ranks to achieve to get. Oh, that, that's definitely a waste of money. Well, it doesn't make sense, though, because you're telling me wrestling business has changed and we're not, we're not selling the outcome. We're All selling right. the athletic. But it can't be both. You know what I mean? It, it, it can't be both. Now, here's the biggest question. I love asking this. <laughs> if what you say is true, you really believe it, All right. You really believe that the wrestling business is no longer, it's not the same as it was in the 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s. You know, we're not selling finishes. We're, you know, people ain't buying that. They're not buying the pick to see it stuff. They're just buying, they just want to have exciting wrestling matches. Just athletic. Okay. Then why is it you get a boo-boo face when I ask you to lose? <laughs> yeah. For you, it don't, it don't matter. Right. So why do you get upset? Why do you walk around and get the big pouty lip when I ask you to go 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 under to do the favor? Sure, I don't understand. No, it, 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 it makes a lot of sense. Be, you can't be both ways. You can't have it. It's either one or the other. I mean, come on, you're killing me. <laughs> I want to change gears here uh, real quick, sure. Alice. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Uh, there's a company out there that's getting a lot of publicity, uh, making quite a bit of noise. Only been in existence roughly uh, eight months at this point in time, and that being AEW. Uh, they go live on TNT on October 2nd. Have you seen anything they've done so far? And if so, uh, what are your thoughts? I have, you know, and my thoughts, I just, I hope to God, you know, for the sake of the business and for the fans, I hope they, you know, not just survive, but thrive. You know, um, they, the advent of, of them into the on the stage of professional wrestling really has already, you know, drawn huge benefits for everyone. You know, uh, upping the profile and then, you know, and giving it's going to give the fans more options. 
and and you know, and then it's also going to be able to, you know, give um, the wrestlers more options. And I mean, we desperately we really need it. You know, we need as many places that you know rest performers can go and be able to you know um, make a living. And uh, I really, uh, I you know, and of course you know Cody. He's both, you know, we were there with Cody from the start. Yeah. So, you know, I, I want to see Cody succeed. I want to see him, you know, do well, you know, for those reasons, but, but also because I just, it's going to benefit the professional wrestling business so much. The more, the more successful they are, the, the better we all, better we all are. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does. Uh, I haven't seen him in, in about a year or so, but I'm, I'm very, very excited for him uh, and, and to see what he does with his position. Uh, a big problem that I see heading in here, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that AEW has very few guys uh, who actually, and we touched on this earlier, who know how to work live yeah. television. And, and like we said, you know as well as I do, show up at a building, 1 o'clock, told you have 10 minutes, ready to go out seven hours later, and now you have three, but yet you still need to sell the pay-per-view, tell the story, get each other <clears> over, <throat> and that no doubt, that's, that's no doubt going to happen once AEW lands on TNT. And look, if you're, if you're not Cody, if you're not Jericho, if you're not Dustin or Spears or Moxley, uh, you haven't really been ever put in that position. Do you think issues like this could lead to a weaker television product from the outset? Well, I don't, you know, I'm not sure as far as the weaker television product, but I know it's going to, it's going to certainly create some, you know, major challenges. Um, you know, from down to, you know, you remember when um, we get new guys, uh, still to this day, we get new guys in OVW and they don't, you know, they have no television experience. So they don't know how to work towards the hardcore. Sure. You know, they don't know how to, when they're standing there to cut a promo, how to cheat or, uh, you know, they don't know how to when they, you know, are um, leaving the ring that to, instead of, you know, walking forward to the curtain to turn around and back up so you can get their face. So you can see your face, you know, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, just little, little things like that, that, that are, that are going to be, uh, are going to be challenges, going to be frustrations for, you know, the production team, the camera operators, you know, because, you know, as well as I do, if they can't see your face, what um, are you selling? You know, you're not selling it. Yeah. It's, it's 100% has to be, you know, seeing that face. And, um, and that takes time and that takes experience. You've got a roster of people that have not had many opportunities to, you know, uh, get that experience. Um, prior to being put in this position. The other challenge for them is going to be that it's one thing to, you know, build to and do a one-off show. It's another now when you have a continuous ongoing concern that you have to, you know, every week, uh, you've got to take what you did last week and then extrapolate what's going to be, what the action was last week and what the reaction is this week, you know. And and where are you headed the following week? And where you headed the following week and the week after that and the week after that, because where are you ultimately trying to head and what are you trying to do? Are you trying to get a baby face over? Are you trying to get food on the heel? What purpose are you trying to do that for at that time? In what direction ultimately? So you've got to take all of that into account every time you sit down and write TV. You know, and, and that takes, that's a challenge. Yeah. You know, that, that's definitely, uh, you know, a very challenging part of it as well. It's, you know, it's, you, you just, you know, I'm not saying by any means, but it's simple to go and book a, just a, a three-hour 
uh, lone standing events, you know, like a pay-per-view or something, that has its own challenges. But, but that pay-per-view, now it's not a three-hour pay-per-view. It's a two-hour television show that this week, and then next, very next week, you've got another two-hour television show. And then the very next week, you have another two-hour and the very next week, you have another two-hour television. <laughs> and that, you know, and on top of that, you've got to try to not just make the TV for the TV audience. You've got to try to do this in a manner and produce an event that also motivates people to want to come and pay to see it <laughs> and come be in the building. So it's not easy. I mean, that's a, it is hard. With so many options out there now, we kind of touched on it a bit earlier. Look, you have you have Raw and SmackDown on USA, NXT directly answered AEW on Wednesday nights, uh, yeah. Impact looking like they're about to head over to Access. You were right there in the middle of this last time. Are we uh, are we on the verge of another boom period here in the industry? Oh, I certainly hope so. But what it's going to take is what created that boom period was not just the it was the competition which gave a lot of people opportunities to stand out that may not have gotten those. one of those of course was too boss um but the key to that whole boom period was it was speed and that we had a baby a baby face that was truly over in the two term the two cents which means the audience wanted to live vicariously through them they identified with them mm-hmm. they wanted to be them being over you know guys just use that term all the time now too uh, he got over. No, he didn't. He got Nobody a reaction. <laughs> he got a reaction. Yeah. He didn't get over. That's a big difference. Um, but you had a heel that had heat because it doesn't matter, you know, how over uh, Steve would be if he hadn't had a good, solid heel that knew how to draw heat, meaning be the guy that nobody wants to be, be the guy that everybody wants to see get beat by the babyface. And that was, that was the man. He was, I mean, he was awesome, and, and Vince was as instrumental in the success of the Attitude Era as he bought it. You know, you, you need, you can't have a baby face over if you don't have a heel that has a genuine sure. heat. And you can't have a heel that's genuine heat if you don't have a baby face that's not truly over. It just doesn't work. Um, you know, and so they're definitely, by having AEW, by... You know, they've got Ring Warriors, I think, on out of Las Vegas. It's on WGN on Saturday mornings, I heard. Um, they've got SmackDown, NXT, uh, Raw. You know, it, it's definitely going to raise the profile of professional wrestling. But is that going, are they going to then, the performers, the talent, are they going to utilize that to make themselves stars? Not just great wrestling. But are you, going to, you know, are you going to have those key guys step out and really, truly get over or really, truly get sweet um, and then be able to have them work with each other? That's what you're going to need for the business to really explode again. You know? um, and I, I hope, God, boy, do I hope that that, that does happen. You know, all boats will rise at the tide. You know? And... Uh, I'm really, really hoping that that doesn't occur for everyone involved, especially the fans. Yeah. They're the ones that are going to ultimately really reach the benefit um, by watching some amazing entertaining shows like they used to be <clears throat> back in the day. You know, it's so much fun. And, you know, a large part of that was because 
you had a, a roster of talent that, you know, had the most valuable tool that a professional wrestler can develop, and that is they had a persona, a character that you, as a fan, could turn to your friends and family, and basically just about anybody on that show you could describe in a sentence or less. You could turn to your friends and go, now watch your show, this guy, he's for DCDE. Mm, you knew exactly who he was, what he stood for, what he'd do to win, what he'd do not to lose. That's what, the, that's what the writers need to write stories. They need characters. They need personas. Not just you out there being a really great athlete. That doesn't, that doesn't sell a ticket. Not one. You know, not, on the, not to the general audience. It doesn't. And that's where the real money is, is with Mr. and Mrs. Walmart. You want to, you know, and again, you're big. Um, if you're a professional wrestler and you're listening to this, you're big. You do whatever you want. You do you. All right? Um, just realize you're a product. And you want to marginalize yourself and market yourself to a very marginal audience? Go right ahead. That's fine. You know? But if you want to make life-changing money, you know, then you want to market yourself to and have the broadest appeal. And, you know, I always use this as a good example. Um, during the period in ECW, during the period of from like May to October, in mind, uh, and I, I, you know, I got to thank Jeff Jones. He was a referee back then. He helped me out so much, you know, created a website for the Job Squad t shirts. I sold. Over 3,000, 3,500 of those things at like 25 bucks a piece. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of when money today, to, let alone 1997. <laughs> yeah. I went to WWE, and they were, the shirts were so successful, they wanted to license them. I said, great. License them. You know, uh, shut the website down, couldn't sell them anymore, started making license it. I'm on. I'm ready to go. <laughs> Here's the problem. They were marketed, I marketed them to just the hardcore, the smart wrestling audience, which is fine, right? But WWE didn't know how to market them to the average person, didn't know how to sell the concept, the idea to the average person. So the license went nowhere. They never sold it. Now, Steve Austin. Steve Austin did his shirt. And they knew how to sell that to the average person. And Steve Austin shirts were in every, and I mean literally, every store in the mall. They were in Walmart. They were in Target. They were in Sears, J.C. Penney, Elder Beerman. Your truck stop on the side of the road, everywhere. Everywhere. So, here's your choice. You want to market yourself like I did and make good money. Or do you want to market yourself like he did and make life change? And it's up to you. You know, you can make that decision and you get that, you get that opportunity every time you walk in the room. A few more questions uh, before we start to wind down. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned Stone Cold Steve Austin a couple seconds ago. Uh, he wrote the foreword for your book. For those of you guys uh, yeah. who don't know, Al has a book out, Self-Help, Life Lessons from the Bizarre Wrestling Career of Al Snow. You can find it on Amazon or wherever books are sold. It is on my to-do list. Have not gotten to read it yet. Uh, but why now with the book? Why would you want to write it? I really was reticent about writing the book because so many people have one out. Um, 
and and everybody takes a very negative bent with it sometimes. Uh, you know, I I just I wasn't interested in doing anything like that, um, and uh, and I also didn't feel like I had a sufficient platform to really make it successful to sell it. But a lot of people kept talking to me about it, and finally, um, I was speaking to Bob Holly, and you know, he was trying to convince me of it, and he had introduced me to the guy who helped him write his. He did an awesome job, Ross Owen Williams. I went and got Bob's book and read it. And, uh, you know, I was amazed because when I was reading it, I could hear Bob's voice. So <laughs> that was, you know, you could hear him telling the story. Sure. And, uh, and I was like, you know what? This guy's very, you know, Ross, very talented, you know, to be able to do that. So that kind of convinced me to, to take that step. And believe me, I still like, you know, um, you know, I'm still like, it, it was a tough thing to do because I tried to be very honest in it and very open and, and admit my mistakes along the way. And I talk about a lot of things that I, you know, nobody knows about personally, um, you know, and, and how I, you know, missed opportunities, made decisions that, you know, uh, hurt people close to me and, you know, and how I regret it. But I take responsibility for, you know, making those decisions and, you know, making those mistakes and the lessons that I've learned from it. Um, but, that, you know, and I try to make the book entertaining, um, you know, and I try to tell some ridiculous stories. Because you know how it is in the wrestling business. I mean, the most absurd stuff will happen. Because anywhere else. You know, oh, people look at you like you're animals. They don't believe you. Like, yeah. You can't yeah, write half the stuff like, that happens There's to no us. way. This can't happen. <laughs> and you're like, it happens on a regular basis. Daily. You know, like my best example of that, of, of professional wrestling, is the angle that Eddie Gilbert and Jerry Lawler did. Okay? Where Lawler was going to walk out of the television studio in Memphis, and Gilbert was going to pull up to the parking lot and hit him with a car. <laughs> Now, they did this, which resulted in Lawler breaking his hip, Gilbert taking off out of the parking lot, the police trying to find him for three days. Um, so good. But think about this. They had a conversation, right, about one man now going to hit another man with a car. And if this had been any other form of entertainment, like a movie or television production, they'd have spent weeks planning this out. They'd have done rehearsals. They had professional stuntmen you know, a, a licensed stunt driver. No, just two guys. Hey, what if I just go real slow, but I'll just kind of speed up at the sec- last second. You jump on the hood and take a bump. What do you think? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Sounds great. That was the whole conversation. And that kind of stuff happens on a regular basis in wrestling, you know? <laughs> it just did nowhere else. Even in WWE, I remember back in the day, I'm sure they, they don't now, but back in the day, I remember when they would be like, okay, well, what do you want to do? Well, let's do this crazy thing. Oh, great. Ooh, we're done. You know, and like, how is this happening? You know, even, you know, even that ridiculous tunnel from hell match where for months I keep saying, we need trained animals. We need trained animals. Literally show up that day in Charlotte. There's multiple owners with multiple dogs. One had some obedience training that morning. They had literally called a vet got a list of people that owned Rottweilers and then just had them show up. I mean, like, who else would do that? You can't write the stuff that happens 
You just can't. No. It's it, it it it's crazy. Hey, I, before we go, I have to ask you. Um, I think a lot of people may get it wrong or may get it confused because you guys have been friends uh, for a long time. Uh, for the people who've never heard it before, can you explain the origin and gimmick of Head? Oh, uh, the Head uh, basically. Uh, I had tried to quit WWF at the time, but I had a uh, they had an, a third year option on my contract, and um, and it was my own bad attitude and my own resentment of me pointing the finger at everyone else and not taking the responsibility for myself. That was why I was in that place at that time um, and a lot of frustration. And uh, I tried to quit because I knew that if I stayed there, I was stuck in the spot I was never going to get out of. I had to go someplace else to reinvent myself, and, and I had to get over. So I got lucky. God bless Chris Candido. God, I miss him so much. Um, you know, he was Paul's right-hand guy at the time, and, you know, we did. I, we all kind of knew Paul was working with Vince. But, you know, Chris smartened me up to the extent it was going on. And uh, Chris went to Paul. Paul went to Bruce. You know, Bruce went to Vince. So they basically put me on loan. Paul had no no plans. No nothing. I was just there to get me out of the locker room because I had a bad attitude. And they could keep me under contract. And, um, you know, I started trying to show that I had a nervous breakdown. And um, I... Uh, Started reading a book on abnormal psychology, kind of case study about a woman with paranoid schizophrenia and what they call transference disorder. She would transfer the illness on the DNA of her objects when she heard the voices coming from. She thought they were crazy. And I found a styrofoam head uh, after a match with the great Sake back in backstage. Um, took some pictures with it with him, the Japanese photographer. Um, started carrying it to the ring. And when I would, I would go out, I'd be a baby face, and when I'd lose, I'd get upset, and I'd beat the head up, and the minute I'd start beating the head up, they, the crowd would start booing. They'd get mad, and for whatever reason, and um, you know, I just would talk to it, and interact with it, and then the big the big moment came was, they had a November to Remember pay-per-view, and I was, uh, Paul had finally really was starting to get behind, and was going to give me an opportunity at uh, CCW this was like in October, yeah, around Halloween. Um, he was going to try and give me the rub from Sandman or something. And uh, um, I worked with uh, Paul, um, uh, what's his name, uh, from Thunder Bay, Ontario, uh, Paul, Paul Diamond. Paul Diamond, yeah. And, yeah, Paul Diamond. And he gave me a gourd buster, and it caught my arm up underneath and severely dislocated my right arm. Couldn't work, which was a blessing, um, because Candido kind of politics and got me on the pay-per-view in a backstage promo segment of Little Vignette where I was in the locker room interacting with the head where everything was normal around me except for the fact that I was arguing with the head. And, uh, and that was it. That was the thing that got really made it take off and made it go over. Um, where is it been yet? Um, I never, you know, Paul never pushed me. Uh, he never had me beat anybody of any substance, you know. Um, except for the one time I beat Shane on the, the next pay-per-view in New Jersey. And then we, you know, I'm in the main event of the pay-per-view. WrestlePalooza 97. Yeah, um, where I'm going to go for the world title. And I didn't beat anybody. I mean, I literally, it was the vignette that got me over. And, uh, you know, that's what, and, and the, the videos that Ron and Charlie would put together for me, um, all of that kind of stuff, you know, created, uh, and, and, and it, what made the difference 
and I and I try to relate this to people with you know to the wrestlers. Which, you know, um, for years I was known as the best kept secret in wrestling, and you know that was a real compliment. But and I knew Cornette for you know since '83, I think. And then when he had opened up Smoky Mountain Wrestling uh, in the '90s, you know, early '90s, he had no interest in booking um, because I had I didn't have a definable, definable personality. But you know what turned made the difference was. Cornette saw me on the UFC 4 pay-per-view with Dan Severin, where I made a smart-ass comment to the interview. And it gave him an idea of a personality, a character, and that, when Eddie Gilbert left the territory, it gave me an opportunity because of who I was, not what I could do, um, that got me booked. And then the same goes when, you know, you know I floundered in WWE because, you know, they were trying to find these different characters or personalities you know, that they tried to assign to you, which never works, and because it's not who you really are. And going to ECW and all that anger and all that was nothing. And granted, it was very misplaced, um, very misdirected. But when I would talk to the head, I was basically venting all of it. And that was why it connected to the audience. That's because they felt it was real. And because it was. I mean, I, I, you know, I was being very sarcastic and, you know, uh, making comments, lots of comments that, you know, you, you can feel it, that I was really genuinely felt that way. But it was, you know, because of my own very bad attitude. I got to tell you, when uh, when I put in the podcast group chat last week that we had you coming on, our, our podcast producer here at the station, John Barchard, quickly replied uh, to the group with, what does everybody want, with question marks across <laughs> the screen. I was walking yeah. through the hall last week, and our program director, Spike Eskin, says to me, uh, pretty cool that you guys got Al Snow. Uh, does it ever lost, get lost on you that over the years, through various ways, you've made an, uh, an impression on wrestling fans that are going to last a lifetime? Uh, that was, uh, you know, I'm so grateful and so blessed that it, I was able to do it. Um, you know, my three goals when I first got into the wrestling business were to be able to make a living doing it, which I've been able to do for 37 years incredibly, um, uh, would have matches or moments that would create memories that, you know, people would come up and, you know, relate to and say something about. And a lot of people still surprisingly do. They'll, you know, come up and, oh, I remember this one time, or I remember this, or this match, or this and that, or, you know, which I'm always grateful for. Um, and the other was to make some kind of impact, to, you know, create a name, uh, leave a legacy. And I think I mean, I think my real legacy um, is the number of people like yourself that I had a part in and helped train and develop and uh, try to give tools to uh, go out and try to be successful and, and be able to, you know, pursue the dream. Uh, I, I have a lot. I have, I have a lot of a lot of kids that, you know, um, I was a part of or was from the ground up. From referees to you know wrestlers that have went on to not just be in WWE but you know have successful runs in other major companies and, or have just been able to you know go out and have a successful career being able to do what they love to do and I think that's one of the things I'm most proud of um, you know I'm I'm thrilled and happy that I you know got to do what I did and you know I, granted I haven't done as much as some but I've sure done a lot more than many and I've lasted a lot longer than most. You know, and I really, truly have been blessed to be able to do what I love to do for as long as I've been able to do it. And 
and now I've, I've got OVW and, you know, we've, we literally, for the first time in history, and, and we're the only one in the whole world that has an actual state accredited accreditation as a state school, um, which just, you know, uh, it really, it's groundbreaking, and I'm, I'm very proud and very excited to, to have that, that as, and now as an opportunity to, you know, to grow. We're not just, and we're not just going to address, you know, giving people physical or skills or the backstage skills. You know, we have a nutritionist. We have a strength coach. We have, uh, you know, I just met with up in Kelowna. I was up in Kelowna and did a talk um, uh, for young athletes and uh, sports, you know, with mental health. And they met a psychologist. Um, she was a sports psychologist. She played, you know, and was uh, training to be uh, on the uh, Olympic hockey team, the U.S. Olympic hockey team. You know, she's, she's got a background of actually being an athlete and being a sports psychologist. And, Trying, you know, we're working out of, of where we're going to try to integrate some of those services in with the school or the students. Um, you know, because you know that being a you know an athlete alone is, is you know it's pressure enough. But being in a business like professional wrestling, where you serve one of two purposes, which is you're either the thing that's motivating people to show up at the building, or you're one of the things that helps people show up at the building. So there's a third option: that pressure, that stress can manifest itself in a lot of different ways. And so I'm trying to, you know, do whatever we can to not just help them physically, uh, but also mentally and emotionally and give them as, as many tools as possible. So, you know, you, you know, and that's a unheard con of, you know, unheard concept, except for maybe, you know, NXT, you know, but, you know, we're not WWE, and I'm not saying we are, but, I'm, you know, I want to make things as good as possible as I can for, you know, the talent and, you know, and, and give them everything I can possibly give them to succeed. And not because of some magnanimous reason. Because the more people that I put out there in the wrestling business that are successful, the more successful it makes me. And the more I can make a difference and leave a legacy in professional wrestling that I want. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.